This is Chad Brashears, and you're listening to Never In My Wildest Dream podcast. This podcast is about creating a behind-the-scenes look with coaches, fans, and reporters from our point of view, sharing cool stories as only we've lived them. The goal is for you to learn something new to help your life and allow yourself to take a break from everyday chaos and let us give you a behind-the-scenes look into our world. Never In My Wildest Dreams podcast begins in... Good morning and welcome to Never In My Wildest Dream podcast, Monday, January the 18th, 2021, day 18 of 365. Today we are observing Martin Luther King Day, nice day off for me here working in the school system. We'll start off in sports today. The Penguins take care of the Capitals in a shootout 4-3 yesterday in college basketball action. Houston beats UCF by 16, Virginia Tech beats Wake by 4. Steve Forbes is still looking for his first ACC win as a head coach. He's getting closer. I know he's going to do it. I actually was uh, fortunate enough to watch Steve coach in the junior college level, and I've kind of followed him ever since. He uh, he has a nice comeback story as well when we talk about comeback stories, but I know he's going to get it done eventually. It's just a matter of time. Iowa beats Northwestern 96-73, to and in A-10 action, Dayton tops GW 67-54. to In tonight's top 25 matchups. Kansas travels to Baylor at 9 p.m. on ESPN. Florida State travels to Louisville. I'm going to take Baylor this evening. You know, I'm a Kansas fan. I do think Baylor is the better basketball team, and I am picking Florida State to go into Louisville and have an upset. Today is my mom's birthday. want to give her a shout out. Happy birthday, mom. Thanks for everything you've done. She was an athletic director for 32 years. She's been retired for almost 11 years now from that position, but she did it with grace. She uh, always made sure that the opposing team felt welcome and that everybody was taken care of there at St. Maria Gretti High School and in the Gale Center. She taught me how to be a leader in the athletic world as well as to make sure that we put today's youth first because she did that for 32 years. Most of my uh, weekends home from college, I would get a little note on the butcher block that said, hey, meet us at Goretti. I ate a ton of nachos and hot dogs over there, but I would never trade that for the world. Looking forward to today's show. We're going to have a little Monday motivation, do a little bit more catching up on the NFL, which I have not even mentioned yet. And have a couple phone calls we're going to be making today as well. So, Never My Wildest Dreams podcast. We'll be back here shortly. Never in My Wildest Dreams podcast begins in... Three, two, one. Welcome back to Never My Wildest Dream podcast. I want to talk about the NFL real quick before we have Keith Smith come on. Keith is a video coordinator for Tulsa football. He was also a part of the Auburn staff when Cam Newton went and won the national championship. So, he has a national title ring. He was with Shepherd Football as well. Looking forward to having Keith on. He and I work together at Hagerstown Community College, so we go back and forth, and he actually does help me break down some film for our seasons as well. Looking forward to that. But before we get to him, about the AFC game yesterday, the Chiefs and the Browns. The Browns actually had a chance to really make this thing happen. Baker Mayfield threw for 204 yards, one pick, one touchdown. Patrick Mahomes throws for 255 yards and one TD, but goes out with a concussion. Really not sure about what his return looks like. Chad Henney steps in, goes 6 for 8, 66 yards. He does throw a pick, but his legs on a 3rd and 14 get them right there to a 4th and 1. 
Andy Reid decides to roll the dice and do what Andy Reid does. He picks a play out that nobody in the world thought was coming. They get a first down, clock runs off, they go back to the title game. If I'm not mistaken, I heard them say they're the first AFC team ever to host three AFC championship games. Not sure what's going to happen with Patrick Mahomes moving forward, but I at least wanted to put that out there that he is out, and I'm sure the bookies in Vegas are having a little bit of fun trying to figure out what the odds are going to be like next week when they have to play the Bills. In the NFC side, it was a battle that was back and forth. At the end of the third quarter, it was 20-20. to The Buccaneers outscored the Saints by 10 in the fourth quarter. Tom Brady throws for 199 yards, two touchdowns. Drew Brees throws for 134 yards, one touchdown and three interceptions, and very possibly his last game ever as a Saint. He contemplates retirement again. So that sets up that the Bills travel to Kansas City and the Tampa Bay Buccaneers are going to Lambeau. Match of the Week 5 game where the Buccaneers won 38-10. Looking forward to the matchup. Tom Brady is a extremely good quarterback and at 43 what he has done in Tampa Bay is pretty remarkable to be honest with you. He decided to pick up and leave from where he was comfortable in New England. He's now down at Tampa Bay and ironically is 60 minutes away from playing the Super Bowl in his home stadium, which actually is kind of cool. If the Packers weren't playing, I'd probably be rooting for him just for that situation. Keith Smith will be on the phone when we come back, and we look forward to talking to him very soon. Never in my wildest dreams podcast begins in... Three, two, one. Welcome back to Never in my wildest dream podcast. Looking forward to having my next guest on, Keith Smith. Keith has a uh, he has an awesome story, and we're going to talk a lot about that today. Graduated from Niles McKinney High School. They're a Red Dragon. I'll let him explain that to you when he gets on the phone off on here in a second. But they're the Red Dragon. 24 days after graduation, he went into the military, spent that the next five years in, in that. Went to HCC, went to Auburn. He worked on the football staff at Auburn, came back to HCC. That's when him and I were able to cross paths, meet and work together. A lot of nights in the cars, we'll talk about that. And then we, he went to Shepherd, Western Kentucky, Kennesaw State. He won't talk about this, but I'll bring this up. He was the 2017 FCS Coordinator of the Year for video. I thought I'd throw that in there. He went and worked in the Hendricks Motorsports for NASCAR, and he's the current video coordinator for Tulsa Football. What's up, my man? Hey, Chad. Thanks for having me on, brother. How you doing? I'm doing great, man. I'm glad you, uh, I know you're a busy dude, so I'm glad you're taking a couple minutes to talk to me. Anytime I can always help, you know that it's that time of year. I'd love to help. Absolutely. So, so you talking with you. You have a ton of stops in your in your career here. So how did we get to where we're at now? What was the the thought process in your mind on how to get where we're at? What was the plan for you? Well, there never really was a plan. Honestly, I graduated high school out of Niles McKinley in Niles, Ohio, and knew I couldn't stay there. Just the circumstances there. It's a lot like South Hagerstown, okay. where it's like, I there's more to life than this. I grew up in the military. I was born in Frankfurt, Germany. I've lived in Alabama, Maryland, North Carolina, Florida, Pennsylvania, Ohio. Like, I've been all over the place. So there's always more to life than what's right in front of you. And sometimes we get lost in that idea that, okay, just because I wake up here and I live here, there's there's a more there's a bigger world out there go experience it you know why not go to x y and z school we all have a dream that's been placed inside of us and my dream as a young kid was to go to auburn university in auburn alabama 
Okay. I never thought in my wildest dreams, literally, that I would not only be there to go to school, not right, not the normal path like everybody else does, but as an adult, as a non-traditional college student, as they call it, and to be part of winning a national championship. I mean, if, if you go back and look at it, you scratch your head and go, it's a crazy process to get there. You know, like I said, did the army, was in the army for five years, got out, kind of piled around Hagerstown, really not sure what I wanted to do. And was like, wait a minute. My dad kept asking me a simple question. And I tell everybody, write this down because it really, it's mind blowing with how simple yet sophisticated it is. What's stopping you from living your dreams? I'm writing that down. Yeah, there's really only one thing that is stopping you from living your dreams. That it's a three-letter word in that whole sentence. Yep, you. Exactly. And it took me <clears throat> two years to answer that question. Yes, a little slow on the uptake sometimes, but when I get it, it's like wildfire. Right. And I realized I joined the Army. They gave me money to go to college on. And I hadn't used it, and I thought, you know what? I'm going to get out of the Army. I'm just going to live my life, go on, get married, do the, you know, check the boxes. Right. And I went to a church service and one of the guys there asked a question. He goes, do you want to be ordinary or extraordinary? And I'm like, oh, ordinary is kind of cool. And I started <laughs> thinking and it's like, not everybody's ordinary. We are ordinary in our own way, but we're also extraordinary in our own ways. Your life is defined by three different things. Multiple things, but these are the three big things. You have a beginning date and an end date. Mm -hmm. So those are your beginning and expiration date, like anything else in the world. What do you do in the middle in that dash? That dash right there, it, it sets the world apart. Mm -hmm. Because that is the thing that's going to be remembered at, at when we're sitting around at your funeral or at anyone's funeral or anybody, but anyone's good times, the bad times, the, the tears, the, the riding up and down the street, getting hot dogs, you know, at, at random places in Virginia when you're out recruiting a kid or just sitting around after, you know, you've pulled off beating a, you know, across the mountain team in Frederick, you know, all those different things are just talking and the memories and the, the sharing of stuff that that's what that dash is. The life, the legacy you leave is that dash. It's not the beginning and the end. Mm -hmm. It's that dash mark right there. That is the sum, sum of your, sum total of your life. And that's what you'll be remembered for. So it was kind of an obvious thing. And what I had, which part of the exercise was you go in and you get a key out of the bucket. Well, the key is uncut. And I walk, as I was walking in this room, it's completely dark. It's meant to be a, uh, what do they call it? An exercise in like spatial awareness and what's going on around you. And I felt something hit me right in the forehead. And I mean, physically hit me in the forehead. Well, I go in the bucket, go in the room. There's a, bucket on the table, grab a key, thinking this is what I'm supposed to do. And the whole time I was thinking, I was like, something just hit me in the forehead, like a duh moment. And I'm, like I said, a little slow on the uptake sometimes. And I started thinking about it. And I'm like, I've got money to go to college. What are you doing? Mm -hmm. Why are you wasting your time punching the time card of life? Because you only get one life. You only get one chance. You only get one opportunity at everything. So why why make, why do the least possible, you know, the, not, not the easiest, but why take the path of least resistance? So I said, okay, cool. Realized, wait, I have 40,000 at the time, the GI bill was $40,000 for 
for my entire college career to go to college on. And I thought, well, heck, I've got $40,000 free money. Well, I earned it, but $40,000 for me to go to school wherever I want to go. I said, you know what? Let's apply to Auburn. Applied there. They said, hey, um, you've got a 2.28 GPA. Yes, I'm telling on myself. My GPA was not great, but lesson learned. We, we think that plus it's been six or seven years since you sat in a classroom. You need to go to the Hagerstown Community College or the community college where I lived was Hagerstown at the time. And we need you to get to certain levels, get your grades up, do a little bit of work, get on the regular college level. We don't want you to come down here and be overwhelmed. Right. I thought, okay, go to Hagerstown Community College, dive back in, took a class, a uh, basketball class. It was mm-hmm. basketball PE. I love sports. My parents would always tell everybody, well, what, what, what makes Keith excited? Give him a ball. Literally, that's a ball in competition and turn him loose. And that, that's what happened. Took a class with PE, and it was a basketball class. Excuse me. Met, uh, then at the time, the head coach, Earl Redden, yeah. and one of my other buddies that you you know, Big Keith, Keith Fanjoy, who he was the assistant coach his first year working with the team, and just said, hey, I want to get involved. How do I get involved? And he goes, well, you know, Coach Redden said, well, we need an equipment guy, video guy. What can you do for the program? And I ended up taking on all these basic roles by the end of the season where driving a team van, getting kids to and from school. I mean, I look at it, we won 20 games that year, and not to toot my own horn, but everybody on the team was eligible at the end of the season, which is very, very, very rare in the college world. Especially JUCO. Yes. And it wasn't like, hey, we're by the skin of our teeth. No, we didn't have those kind of problems. Everybody went to class every day. Mm-hmm. And it's because someone like me said, uh, you're not going to sleep and you're not going to lay in bed. You're going to class. But I don't want to. There was not an ask in there. It's get in the car. We're going to class. Because this is not the end all point. This is the launching point. Right. And when Big Keith, I refer to him as Big Keith. And I don't know if, you're, if you've talked to him much about it on your show, but I'm six foot two, about 270, 280. He's six foot ten, big power forward, uh, center type, you know, four or five size basketball. So he's big Keith, I'm little Keith. And the first time we met, I looked at him and said, Hi, I'm Keith Smith, and I'll be going to Auburn. And he just kind of taking a gas back and goes, Wait a minute, that's not something somebody just walks up and says, Hi, I'm doing this. Right. So, you know, the mental fortitude to get me where I'm going has come from the army and losing a lot of things in my life that you go, you know what? I can afford to lose that because of what's coming. So like I said, work with the basketball team for a while. And then the season got over, uh, big Keith made a couple phone calls down to Auburn university. And as things would happen, that entire coaching staff was let go after that year. Coach Tuberville went, I think three and eight, they lost to Alabama by 40. It just was not a very good end to the season. And they hired coach Chiswick and, Coach Malzahn, Coach Roof, redid the whole staff, and the video guy stayed. So Keith got that. Keith, Keith Fanjoy called down there and said, hey, and sometimes in life you have to have, it's not just what you do, but like you, I've heard you talk on your uh, show before, it's about the moment, the impression you make on somebody. Mm-hmm. Impact you can use will, somebody will go, hey, you know, this. I'll write a letter of recommendation. This person has busted their home. They've given more than they needed to give. They've gone above and beyond. You know, I, I want to see this person succeed because I know they have what it takes and I'm going to help them out. So he made a phone call down to Auburn University and said, what can students do with the football program? They said, well, you got trainer, which is the working in the trainer room, taping ankles, water, that kind of stuff, equipment, you know, washing laundry, pads, 
on the field or video. And he goes, he gave me the video guy's number. And I was he talked to the video guy for about 10 minutes. And he goes, you can do this job in the NFL. Brent Thomas is his name. And I thought, wait a minute, what red-blooded, this is me, my opinion, what red-blooded kid who grew up thinking he's the next Dan Marino wouldn't want to do this job in the NFL? Right. It's the, it's, you know, in your case, you get to the NBA, you know, in your brother's case, going and playing the major league baseball, mm-hmm. you know, you look at it and you go, it's the three letter acronym. It's, it's that world. Well, what's stopping you? Okay. You know, go learn from somebody, study, learn what it takes to get there because these organizations don't just grab you off the street and throw you in the mix and let you go. You got to come up a certain way. And by come up, I mean, you got to work to get there. It's very, a very competitive hard charging world to get into. And I said, well, I want to do video and what do I have to do? So that was uh, spring t- 2009. Okay. He said, Hey, come on down in August. We start camp, found a place to live, moved down there, literally packed up and left. Was no longer working in Hagerstown was got my grades up, had a, I think about a three GPA, 2.5 or higher to three plus GPA. I got got over the one-on-one classes they wanted me to get transferred in. And then I had some friends tell me, I don't think you're ready. And I thought, Oh, I'm ready. We can do this. Didn't, did not realize what I was getting myself into. And I walked in at a community college. You got classes that are, you know, 30 to 35 is the largest, biggest class I've ever been in. <laughs> My first class at Auburn was 250 kids and it was physics. So eye opener, um, you know, you got your community college world where you don't have, but maybe 3,500 students on campus total. They have 35,000 or more. It's a mini Hagerstown. Pretty much. And in the town of Auburn is small as far as size wise goes. It's only got one high school, but it's a big one, but they got a 35,000 camp uh, person campus and an 87,000 seat stadium right in the middle of campus. Mm-hmm. And when you're around a program like that, I would recommend, I tell all your people to go back and watch. There's an ESPN 30 for 30. I heard you talking about the Tiger Woods documentary with uh, another one of your guests. There's a 30 for 30 on uh, Roll Tide War Eagle about the Alabama-Auburn games in the 2009-2010 season. I have that. I have that one. I downloaded that one. That's a good one. Yes, I lived every moment of that. We're going to talk about that. And, And it's... It was not, I mean, I, I walked in and thought, oh my gosh, I mean, I, it was on top of the world, you know, it, it it's really a, it was eye-opening to see, I lived in Alabama before, so I knew the rivalry, mm-hmm. but I didn't realize how big it was and how, like, I made the mistake when I was at Auburn, I dove in and, you know, I, I did what you're not supposed to do when you go to college. I skipped going to class to stay at practice. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and, and it catches up with you. It, this, it all has a way of catching up with you. And I thought, oh, I'll be fine. Like in a community college, you put your three or four hours of work in a week and you're good. Well, when you go to a four-year school, you've got to put three or four hours in per class to keep your grades up. And I wasn't ready for that life. And it, we won our national championship in, in January of 2011. Little, it's been a, a little over 10 years now. And I remember thinking, I won a national championship I've reached the pinnacle that you can do as a support staff member in the college world. And three days later, I was back in my parents' basement enrolled back in classes at HCC. Mm-hmm. So yes, there is a, the, the Bible says it very clearly pride goes before the fall because I thought I was as high as I could be. I mean, I was, 
you know, my nose was so high up in the clouds and I lost it all. And I remember thinking just three days ago, I was on national television. Now, yes, as a video person, you're part of it all. You're traveling police escorts and you're sponsored by Under Armour. I mean, you're riding around on me. It's we chartered a 747 to fly to one game. Mm -hmm. You know, you're living the good life. Like people don't understand the life that you live at those places until you're on the inside. And like I said, we didn't wait on stoplights because you're getting a police escort everywhere you go. So, I mean, you're going your head to toe. You got to wear Under Armour. Yes, I said that right. You had to wear Under Armour because that was the sponsor of the school. You know, it's like, oh, you're going to punish me with a good time? Okay, cool, thanks. You know, and that's (laughs) more on into other perks of jobs that you get. But, you know, it's like, wow, I get to do all this stuff. Never in my wildest dreams did I, and I keep saying that because it's like it really is a wild dream that I would get to be in that situation. So, but you take all that away because I didn't handle my business on the front end. Mm -hmm. And I lost it all. I remember when you came back to to Community College. And I'm thinking, I had my one shot, my one opportunity, and I lost it all. I didn't lose it all. Sometimes God has to reach down and go, I have a higher higher calling and a better opportunity for you, but we've got to fix some things. Right. You had your hand on the wheel, and I need you to let go of the steering wheel and let me handle it. Because you, everybody has desires and dreams that they want to have. It's, a, it's about how we use those to impact people. And I know from a fact that I lost, I thought I had lost it and never, it was never going to get it back. And got my national championship ring. And I kept asking my dad, I tell him I'm a failure. And he goes, what do you mean you're a failure? It's like, I didn't graduate. He goes, okay. So you shot for the stars and ended up on the moon. Mm-hmm. You still went somewhere. You still got a national championship ring with your name on it. Nobody else in our family has one of those. Nobody else in our family would have taken the step that you wouldn't did what you did. You did the hardest thing people can think of. You know what that, the hardest step in the step of faith is making it. No, it's taking that first step. Yep. Because that first step lets you know whether or not, Oh, is this solid footing or did I just step in a, in a mud? Right. Is it concrete or is it ice? You know, you know how it is when you first walk out in the morning and, you know, and you're like, okay, it's dark outside. Okay, that first step off the steps. Am I stepping onto something solid or is it, you know, am I going to be sliding? Right. That hardest step right there is what scares people. Mm -hmm. People will literally put their foot down, get scared, and run back inside. Mm -hmm. Not, and having that idea of going, you know what? Once you put that foot down and go, yep, that's firm ground, off I go. That's the hardest step because then after that, it's the steps get easier. They get easier and they get easier because you just simply right foot in front of your left foot and keep going to get where you're going. So like I said, come back to Hagerstown, work with the basketball team that year. That's where you and I met. And we Mm -hmm. basically, excuse me, we were recruiting up and down the road, looking at kids. I remember going and being around some of the blue bloods in college basketball at the time Mm -hmm. as they were recruiting kids. We're looking at them going, Oh, okay, good luck. You know? (laughs) And I remember just, that and it was like every night with us and we both were growing and working through some things and you know feeding off each other and helping each other learn learn and also understand where we're going right and that's where i think our friendship built because we both were rebuilding ourselves so Mm -hmm. when you've got somebody there who you can lean on 
who can go, yeah, you know, you might want to get that checked or, you know, hey, you're on to something there, but let's let's adjust it this way. Or here's an example of what I saw that you can take and add it into your repertoire that'll help out. And if both of us did that. Absolutely. And then, you know, the number of times we stopped at, what was the name of the one restaurant we stopped at to get hot dogs at all the time? It was a little sit-down diner. We always get hot dogs at when we were going to Virginia. You know, you know, I can see the restaurant, but I can't. It's anyways, but it was a it was a great place. It was a, a benchmark in my mind that I was like, you know what? It's a great, safe place to go get a hot dog. And that was one of our cool things we did on the road. When we were, you know, going up and down the road, going to, you know, the Maryland arena to watch uh, guys play in their state tournaments. Um, yep. Going to where was it? Um, Oak Hill, West Virginia. We went to a bunch. We went to Herndon. Um, Actually, you know what's funny? I talked about him the other day on one of the shows. Austin Hamilton. That's who we went down to watch. Yeah. Ended up going and being a starting point guard at Elon. We weren't on. We were on some good ones with that guy. We went to. We were up in Philly. We were in uh, Norristown High School. Went the whole way down to Oak Hill, West Virginia. Yep. <clears throat> there were some trips. That was a. That was a long trip. <laughs> that was a twenty-four yeah. hour trip. <laughs> you remember the we're up forty? Yes. I do. I still talk about that. My roommate works with a, a basketball team, works with the basketball team here in Tulsa. And every time I start thinking about high school basketball, all I can think is, is that, um, I cannot think of that school's name now. There are crowds chanting and the state title in the state playoff game, we're up 40 and it's just, it's like, wow, you just shouldn't do that to somebody in the, that late in the state playoff run. No. Um, but yeah, so we did, we did that for a season Yep. and then I got, Got my national championship ring. Went over and you know, at the national title game, Big Keith and my my mother flew out and stepfather flew out, and I hadn't had a chance to see him since I got my ring. Well, talk about an interesting and you know, God opening doors, an interesting way of things happening. July fourth, I go see Keith, show him my ring, and you've seen it. I mean, you could eat dinner off that. Thing. Yeah, the paperweight, nice. that paperweight yes. you put on your desk. Yes. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Uh, so I go show him and he goes, Hey, a couple of the Shepherd university coaches live next door. Now I had heard of Shepherd, but I didn't realize the lineage that Shepherd university football has. Oh, yeah. Yes. Everybody talks about how great your Alabama's and your Oklahoma's are. But when you look at the run that coach Cater had at Shepherd, let's be real 30 years. And you average a conference title every other year. Nobody in the country has done that outside of what maybe Wisconsin Whitewater, Mount Union, a yep. couple of those guys. Mm-hmm. I mean, Bobby Bowden can't say that. Uh, Coach Saban can't say that. Now, he's had a great run in the last 10, 10 12 years. Right. But you go back, he, he didn't win any titles at Michigan State. He didn't win, he won, what, one or two conference titles at LSU, but not like the success he's having right now. now he won one you national know. championship. <clears throat> That's pretty much it. And then he made the jump to uh, the, NBA, the NFL to the Miami Dolphins, and then came back. But you look at it and you go, okay, you look at a guy who's been at one school for almost 30 years, and he had one class that didn't grad, that graduate without winning a title and one that won four straight. Mm-hmm. I mean, just that record of dominance. And I, I lived in Hagerstown for probably seven years and never really knew that you had that kind of great ex, that excellence 30 minutes away. So have lunch with Keith and his family. And he goes, Hey, you should meet some of the football coaches next door. So I'm wearing this nice shiny ring on my finger. Talked, you know, met one of the coaches and he goes, yeah, our video guy just left and he was a QC quarterbacks coach. So he leaves to go to another, I think he left to go to Vanderbilt to work on their staff. There with Tony Franklin. And we're looking for a guy who's got video experience. 
I'm a student. Hey, why not? So I'm going to HCC in the fall. I mm-hmm. interview, get the job to be the video coordinator there. It's not paid. It literally is cool. You're the video guy. Here's the, the Sony Handycam and off you go. <laughs> you want to talk about the mighty have fallen. At practice at Auburn, we were running. We had three fields going and one, two, three, four, six to seven cameras or more every practice. And, you know, like I said, three 100-yard field, three football football fields, an indoor, the whole nine yards, you know, and a group of students, seven or eight students to run practice to myself, two Sony Handycams, and one laptop and a broken student, a broken athlete, basically broke, uh, a broke player, mm-hmm. somebody who's injured, filming games. And that's it. You know, you're not you, – you're traveling. It's a bus for the offense, a bus for the defense. Get in, sit down, let's go. That's what it's like to travel at Division Two. Mm-hmm. You travel at Auburn, it's chartered flight or all the equipment students, all the students are on a bus. The team charters there. You leave the day before. I mean, the travel is different. The hotels are different. The, it's, it's like being on Mars and, or being at the beach and, and being, you know, back home. It's how different it was. It was two different worlds Absolutely. when you traveled. Yeah, so... Yeah, and then the stadium sizes are even more ridiculous. You're playing at Tennessee with 106,000 people in the SEC or at Alabama where they literally hate you. Mm-hmm. And hate is being polite about their conversations in your general direction. When you go in the, you know, at the time it was the West Virginia Conference and you got marching bands with 15 people, 20 people. Right. Like I, I judge stadiums by if I can hear my music. And there were times I put my headphones in and I'd hear my music over the PA announcer and I'm like, Okay, this is what you love doing. And sometimes you have to lose it all to understand how much you really love something. Mm-hmm. So, you know, going back there, did two years of that. I was very fortunate after my, after my first fall in 2011 at Shepherd to get to, uh, when, I tra- when I finally enrolled into Shepherd and finished up at HCC enrolled, Coach Cater calls me in the office and goes, hey, I've got this letter I want you to sign. It was a $7,000 a semester scholarship. That's awesome. So I was like, whoa, I, I, thank you. Floored at the fact that I got that. Yes, I got paid a certain amount of money while I was a student at Auburn, but you're just a part of the machine there. And part of the reason why I left Auburn was not only my grades were bad. I left Auburn with a 1.1 GPA. My grandfather passed away. I had some issues from when I was in the military. Sorry to jump around a little bit. Oh, but you're good. You know, I had my military stuff kind of showed up and, you know, some PTSD and things like that, that really make it hard to focus on things. And sometimes you just got to go back and manually push reset. And it's hard when you're walking through it. So I've been able to learn that and work with that and, and understand what's going on. And back to ACC, shut my associates, get into Shepherd, and take an eight. Here, here's how things change. This is how you can tell that things were different. While I was a student at Shepherd, I was taking roughly 15 to 18 credit hours in the fall and working football and still maintained a 3.0 GPA or higher. Mm-hmm. On top of traveling, filming practices, being a part of all of that, keeping my grades at a point where you I lost this once. I will literally not lose it again. What do I have to do to not lose this again? And that was the attitude I took. So work 2011, 2012. Finished up the 2012 season, spring 2012, or spring, uh, going into 2013, excuse me, and went to a video conference in uh, Tampa, I believe it was, 
made a couple of contacts there. And like I said, God was looking out for me very, I've been very blessed and fortunate to be on this, uh, world tour, shall we call it. And went down there to this conference, didn't have a room, was supposed to room with my mentor from Auburn and he didn't show up due to uh, some stuff happened in his life at the time. And so I said, you know, met a guy there and he goes, Hey, you looking for, looking for a hotel room? It's like, yeah. He goes, cool. I got a spare bed. Come on in and crash. Okay, great. And during that time, it, John Riley was his name. He's the, he was the head court video coordinator at Western Kentucky. He was interviewing a guy over the phone to come and take his intern internship at Western Kentucky. Well, the guy goes, Hey, I'm sorry. I can't do it. It's just, it's not going to work out right now. So he looks at me and goes, you want a job? <laughs> and I was like, uh, okay, what are we doing? He goes, I'm looking for an intern. Now the backstory with John Riley and I is, when I and in 2010, so we'll go back to that year. Auburn played at Mississippi State. Mm-hmm. It's one of the craziest games. Go watch the game. It's the loudest venue I've been in because they could ring their cowbells there. It was the first year that Mississippi State was legally allowed for NCAA rules to ring the cowbells the whole game. It was a crazy game. Final score, I think, it was 17 14 or 17 10. And it, it put Nick Fairley on the map. It was kind of camp, one of one of Cam's beginning come out parties as far as how good he really was. I mean, you look at just the stats in the game. I think Nick Fairley had two sacks, an interception, a forced fumble, fumble recovery, and two or three tackles for loss in one half. That's an entire season for most D linemen. He did that in one half. And you know, I'm standing on the field pregame before all this stuff happens. We meet the other video crew, just like coaches do. You rub elbows. You, hey, hi, how you doing? How's your mom and then wife and kids? Because everybody in this world – you pretty much everybody knows everybody. Very rarely are you surprised by somebody being at another school. Mm-hmm. You've at least had a conversation somehow along the way. You know them, or you've had some kind of interaction with them in some past. So the two video guys from Auburn and Mississippi State have known each other at the time for four or five years, and they introduced us all. And I met John on the field. It was a five minute, hey, hi, how you doing? Because him and I are about the same age. I think I'm a year or two older than he is. And uh, so when it came time to you know, flash forward, that was 2010. This is now the spring of 2013, you know, June time frame. He goes, Hey, love to have you come on board. He called his mentor at Mississippi state about talking to my mentor. And he goes, Oh yeah. If he's vouching for him, you're good. So it is about the references you make. And then the other mm-hmm. interesting part of it was Western Kentucky staff at the time had uh, Bobby Petrino was been named the head coach. I actually wrote that down. I was going to ask you, what was it like working for Bobby P? Um, we'll get to that in a minute. Um, <laughs> I'll tell you how this twisted web of things goes. Uh, the operations director was Andy Wagner. He was the former video guy at Arkansas. So he knew the Mississippi state and the Auburn guy and the Auburn and my mentor at Auburn and Andy had worked together in the NFL. Andy was with the Jaguars for several years and Brent was with the Titans. So they played each other twice a year. So they knew each other. They've known each other. And he goes, well, if, if he vouches for you, I don't even have to read your resume. If he vouches for you, I know you're good. Right. So it's like, oh, okay. And you don't realize sometimes that lineage that you're a part of and who you're around and the impact you make on just one person and to where it can get you. Because you don't know that one person is holding the keys to so many doors. So literally, I was hired like the next day. They had to do the, the school paperwork and all that stuff. But once John, after spending a week at this conference... You know, just being around him and being a good person and talking to him and just getting to rub elbows. As a matter of fact, I just spoke with John today. He's now the head video coordinator at North 
at North Dakota State University, a little school up there that wins a bunch of football national titles. Yeah, they do. Yeah, so he's finally getting that recognition for being good at, you know, being respected and being good at his job. So, you know, he's up there doing that, and we talk all the time. So he brought me on, and it was like, oh, yeah, well, if this guy's vouching for you and you're good, boom, it's a no-brainer. So, but to answer your question, working for Bobby Petrino, I learned a couple of things about coaching from him that I guess I just never seen before. He lived by the motto or unofficially lives by the motto of there's a million ways to skin a cat. Mm-hmm. If, if you know, you know, the past game is not working. Okay. Well, we can run it. There, there's multiple different ways of, well, we don't have to throw the ball down the field, but you know, throw the quick out or we'll work this combination. And he, he never pushes things or forces things when it comes to making game plan adjustments on the field or making, he never pushes things and forces things to work. He kind of lets the game come to him. Uh, in practice, it's way different. He expects perfection from everybody. If you spot the ball every day in practice, everybody uses a script. I don't know how they do it in basketball. We do. But in football, oh, go ahead. We do. Yeah, we script okay. it. Yours is a little bit different. You guys do it like in pods or segments, stuff like that. It's a little bit different. But, I mean, I've seen enough football practices to kind of mirror it a little bit. Right. And every play that's called – has a, has a reason for a defense, and offense, either side of the ball, a yard, a hash, everything, a down, because it's going to be a possible game scenario that they're calling. Right. And if you spot the ball, if, he's, if the schedule says right hash, and you spot it on the left hash, well, he's going to let you know in a lot of four-letter terms that, and words that it needs to go on the other hash mm-hmm. because it's perfection. It's all about you got to do things a certain way. Yeah, and people go, oh, that's mean. And he's yeah. no. What he's doing is you do things a certain way. Your your perfection starts in the littlest details. Mm-hmm. Because if you get the if you get it right in practice, as you transition into the game, it's it your perfection. That's the standard. You know, yes. Sometimes some coaches are good coaches, and they'll yell. They won't yell at you about some things. Some of them yell at you about some things. It's all about listening to what they're actually saying, and. That opportunity to listen and learn from him, you learn a lot because he demanded perfection. Even as down as you know, an individual drill you're filming, you know, he demanded to be shot a certain way. Got you. Why? Because that's what worked for him. So you take some stuff, you take good and bad from everybody along your way, and off you go. So worked with him for a, uh, a season. He left to go to Louisville. Mm-hmm. Petrino did. Then they hired Jeff Brom at, at uh, Western Kentucky, who was the offensive coordinator. Jeff Brom's one of the nicest guys I've met. I encourage everybody, you want to get an idea of Jeff Brom? There's an XFL clip out there that is really interesting. He uh, look, You have to look it up. He was playing for the Orlando Rage during the one year the XFL was around in the 2000, the 2000 season, I believe it was. He gets hit, and, I mean, you think he's dead, like legitimately dead on the field. Like, he's looking out his ear holes how bad it, it looks. They, t- they cart him off the field, take him to the hospital. He comes back later in the game with a neck brace on. So they, and they look at him going, okay, he's back. Okay, cool. Can't be too bad. And I'll leave it at this. Go YouTube it. It's about a two-minute-long video clip because what he says is just amazing as far as what kind of person he is. It's a, it'll, it'll motivate you to go play football. Let's put it that way. I have to check that out. So, um, and then after that, so I, I was there for a season mm-hmm. and went back to that same conference again the following year 
and was trying to get a real job out of it because I was an intern at Western Kentucky. Okay. And I heard about Kennesaw State yep. and I thought, okay, cool, let's go look into this. And this is where the story gets really, really interesting. Um, I had applied for the job back in February, but never heard anything back from them. The you know phone never rang, no big deal. And so I go home to actually officially graduate, come back to Hagerstown to do the graduation ceremony at Shepherd. You know, all the pomp and circumstance that goes with graduating. Well, my niece was born that I think it was uh, on a Tuesday or Wednesday morning. I get a phone call from my older brother. Hey, what are you doing? Um, she's picking up my cap and gown. Wanda goes, you need to come to the hospital. Your niece has just been born. She'd like to meet you. Or I have somebody I'd like you to meet. Okay, cool. Go up to the hospital. Now, you and I are bigger guys, taller guys. My older brother's about five, six, five, seven on a good day. Mm-hmm. His wife is all of five, four on a good day. So, and my niece, love her to death, she's about the size, you know, a newborn baby, really petite, really soft and just small. So they're all in the hospital room. I'm holding her in one hand and they're laughing because I'm holding her head in, head in, her head is in my hand and her feet are at my elbow and I can't get my other arm around her. You know, you understand this as a parent. Hey, two hands. Absolutely. Precious cargo. I could not get two hands around her. So I say all that because while all this is going on, my phone rings. I look at it. You know, I'm answering my phone, baby in one hand, phone in the other. Yeah, not, not my smartest move. It's my mentor at Auburn. And I answer it. And he, I'm like, what's up? And he goes, you want a job? I'm like, yes, hold one. Hey, bro, come over, take your daughter. I, it's an opportunity. <laughs> and I just, I don't want to be doing too, too many things at one time, especially with a new baby. Right. Like she's less than 12 hours old, you know, to, his life is fragile. So I go outside and, and start talking to him. He goes, you want to go to Kennesaw, Georgia? I was like, first off, I don't know where Kennesaw, Georgia is on a map. I had to look it up from earlier. And I was like, okay, yeah, let's do it. He goes, cool. I'm going to call this guy, tell him you want to go after it. And off we go. So he calls his friend who worked at, at the time, worked at the Naval Academy, mm-hmm. who knew the head coach. Hey, I got a guy. Here you go. You know, guy I vouch for, vouches for him. So and like, like I said, in this world, it's about who you know, not what you know a lot of times, but who you know that will get you there. So that started that chain of events. That was on Tuesday, Wednesday. Had the first phone interview with them on Thursday. Graduated on Saturday. Did the phone interview on Thursday. Walked across the stage, graduated Saturday. Drove to Kennesaw, Georgia for an in-person interview that Sunday on Mother's Day. Did the, the face-to-face interview Monday. Drove back to Western Kentucky on Tuesday. Around the middle of May, by the end of the month, I was hired on as their first ever video coordinator. They had no history at all. I say they were starting a program out. I walked in and there was a desktop computer in my office. Uh, you no sent me camera. a picture. Go ahead. You sent me a picture. Yeah. yeah. There was. <laughs> Look nothing. what I'm working with. I'm like, welcome back to HCC. <laughs> yes. And it ended up being a blessing because very, very few people in their career get the opportunity to build something from the ground up. Right. Usually, and in this world, you always fall in on somebody else's stuff and you might, you might get to maybe buy new uniforms or buy new shoes, but at, at, at South Hagerstown, you don't get to, you know, you don't get to change the mascot. You, the kids are the kids you have. You know, you don't get to, Go, okay, well, I want I want all new. And that's not how it works at an established place. So we got the for the privilege of doing was, you know what? We get to write our own history. Mm-hmm. 
We get to start from scratch. We get to build it. However, we as a staff want to build it. And I had the, the fortunate, you know, and there was, I had the, the privilege and was very fortunate to go, you know, I learned from Auburn. I learned from my time at Shepherd. So you got opposite ends of the spectrum, learned from how we did some things at HCC. Okay. And learned from Western Kentucky and everybody who I've in the video world was cheering me on. You know, you were other friends were, Hey man, whatever we can do to help you out, we'll do. And having that support network around me helped, helped me build a program that like you, you brought up in the opening 2017 FCS video coordinator of the year. And that was voted on by, it was voted on by my peers. So other, all the other FCS video coordinators in our organization said, yes, you're the best. And it was very humbling when you go, Oh, you can go from having no games, no students, nothing in less than three seasons to being the best at your job. Mm-hmm. And it kind of was, it took back, took me back a little. I was like, wow, my peers think I did a great job. Mm-hmm. That's all a lot of us want in life is to be recognized by our peers to have done a great job. Absolutely. Especially we're more competitive like we are. Yes. And for them to go, hey, you know, we think you're the best. It really, I'm not going to lie, I brought tears to my eyes. I was like, yeah. It, it was a an award for something that, because I mean, I got there and when there's, when I say there's nothing, we were building and putting things together and we didn't have a weight room. They were they built the weight room in our facility. We had, I mean, I was out buying computers and cameras, had to hire students. I mean, we had a dream and an empty stadium we filled. Mm-hmm. And you can go look at their history since they started in the 2015 season. They've, they've only had one year where they won less than eight games. And I think that was the first year we went six and five. Mm-hmm. Ever since then, they've either won eight, 10 or more games. Their top 10 FCS program, they've made it to the national quarterfinals. They've hosted playoff games. I mean, the, the, the record that they have speaks for themselves. So being, and I've been very blessed and fortunate, fortunate to be a part of great programs where success is the standard. Mm-hmm. You know, when you lose, it's like, I don't like the taste of this and I don't want to do this anymore. I want to win. We want to get back up on that horse. And, you know, it, we know this losing isn't fun and, it, and you just, your food tastes different that week when you lose a game. It definitely does. So you kind of work, you look at it and you go, I don't like this. I'm going to work harder so it doesn't happen this way. So I get to that winning standard. And once you set whatever that standard is, you know, at Kansas, we, like I said, we built the program from the ground up. It literally was a grind. There were a lot of times where you're like, there are just so many things. Like, here's an example of something that you don't think about it, but something as goofy as, hey, do we give out tickets to players and staff, like coaching staff and their families? Uh, do we? Everywhere else in the country does. Oh. And it's not to say that Kansas State didn't do that. There were just so many questions. That's just one example of things that they were unaware of when it came to football because they had never had it before. Right. That's true. So, I mean, you're building up. Like I said, when you're building from nothing, it really was, okay, where do we go and what do we do? And then you're sitting around and it's like, Okay, you can only scratch your head before so long before you got to start putting things in place and you got to start building and making things happen. And it really, it was an eye-opening experience and it really showed me that 
okay, there's a lot more that goes into a ball game of any caliber at any level than just practice and rolling the ball out there. Mm-hmm. It was my first full-time job as a head guy. And in the same breath, we had to go with the, the staff we were with. We did something that most people don't want to do. We started from a blank slate mm-hmm. and built into something that's pretty dominant in the FCS level. So did that for three years. And I think this thought is like, okay, you've been there, you've done that, you know, I, okay. I'm not, not that I was bored, but you know, what's next, what else is there to do? Mm-hmm. And I was working with an, a video operating system, DB sport, who does a lot of the replay stuff that you see in football and basketball and uh, other sp- uh, sports. And they told me that they do video replay or they do video for NASCAR pit crews. And I thought, now, how does this work? What are you going to you know, film the cars going around? You're like, no, no, no. We don't do a lot of work with the cars going 200 miles an hour. Okay. We do a lot of work with the pit crew guys where we film everything they do. All their movements is filmed from multiple camera angles. And it's all timed. And I'm like, okay. I'm, I'm intrigued because I grew up watching Dale Earnhardt Sr. and the Richard Petties. And just to clarify, it's not Hendrix. It's Hendrick. Hendrick. I'm just... They clarified that with me after like a day and a half, and I got the scowl, so I'm passing it along. I'll, I'll, I'll make sure I use it. Hendrick Motorsports. Yes. Don't you win um, spots or, or you gain time in a good pit? Is it? I mean, I don't really know much about NASCAR. I turn it on every once in a while because it's something that is, you know, it's interesting, but it's more of the big races. And I do have one I'm going to ask you about here in a second, but don't you gain? Is that where you gain time, I guess would be the right word? Yes. The idea is you gain what it is, is it's a, if you can get your, you still have to get a certain amount of work done on a pit stop. If you can get it done faster than the next guy, then that allows you to gain time on them. And when you're doing 180, 190 mile an hour, a 10th of a second is 10 yards. Okay. So if you, if you're, you know, if if you're getting a pit stop and I'm doing one also, and you get done two tenths of a second before I do, you have a 20, 20 yard head start on me. Mm Mm-hmm. So just to give you a perspective, I mean, 20 yards is a good chunk. And now I've got to, you know, use my stuff up, my tires, drive my car harder to catch, just to catch up to you. Yes, it's 20 yards, but at 180 miles an hour, I've got to drive even harder. Right. So I met with, uh, did my homework on the job at Hendrick, talked to them, went up there and met with them. And they're like, we're looking for a video coordinator for the 48 and 88 race car teams. Well, at the time, the 48 was driven by Jimmy Johnson, who had just come off winning his seventh title, and the 88 was driven by Dale Earnhardt Jr. Mm-hmm. And it's like, wait a minute now, those are two of the biggest names in motorsports in this country. And I got to sit in, and part of my interview, my you know culture shock, but my interview was with Chad Knauss. And you walk in and you're like, like you were saying, I've been a lot of places done a lot of things and to think I just watched this guy win a championship on his seventh title three months ago, two months ago on TV. And now he's interviewing me to come work for him. Uh, there's a certain level of expectation when you walk in the room of that's great what you did all over there, but now you're here. How are you going to make us better? Right. How do you make a guy, how do you make an organization that just won their seventh championship better? 
I'm stuttering over because it really, I don't, don't have an answer because you guys are doing really good without me. You know, what do I do? And you get in and they go, well, we need somebody who can do the video job. You come highly recommended. And it go, another one of those goes back to who, you know, and how, and the impressions you've made on people. I made a great impression on the, the, the guy who at the time was the head video coordinator at Mississippi state. One of his friends is connected to a NASC, one of the NASCAR coaches. And he goes, hey, if this guy vouches for you, then I vouch for you. Boom. One of the ways you get your foot in the door. The, the software company vouched for me because of what I did at Kennesaw State. Hey, this guy's going to be a good fit for you. He's a hard worker. He knows what he's doing. And it's all about, like I've said, you know, yes, I'm very blessed and very fortunate and very favored by God to have been to some of the places I've been and to done, uh, get to do some of the things I get to do. And off I went. And getting an opportunity like that, it was a culture shock because literally it was nothing like football. You know, we're working with timing everything. You're traveling every weekend. I mean, I I was on the road. I went from traveling for six road games a week or six road games a year to being on the road 40 weekends Mm -hmm. in one calendar year. You know, private jets, charter jets, you can call them private, but charter jets for the pit crews. You're flying from Charlotte to Daytona. My first big event was the Daytona 500. Oh, and uh, you're going to be the guy, the pit stop sign when Dale Jr. comes down pit road. <laughs> so a guy tells Dale Jr. where to stop. He moves the sign back. You got to catch it. And when I said, hey, I told my friends I was working in the, for, Hend- for Hendrick Motorsports, like my friends literally during the 500, I'm getting pictures and text messages. Dude, I see you on TV doing a great job. And I'm like, I do not even remember the race. That's how fast it happened. Right. And, and it's like, wow. So, and that's how the season went for a couple of weeks until just like any other job, you know, you, it finally just begins to slow down and click and you're like, okay, cool. I can do this. Mm-hmm. And you just learn, you know, it, it taught me a lot. I, I learned that there's so many things that go into making in, in pit stops, we, we time or break down for measuring, measuring time, 36 individual movements over five, well, at the time six, now five men. And you're looking at, you're, you're judging things in the two-tenths of a second range. And, and it really, you look at like angles and you understand this from, you know, working with guys when they're shooting. If you've got your elbow out, the shot's probably going to go off a certain way. Well, we had to teach our guys when they're working on lug nuts and hitting lug nuts with the with the lug wrench or the impact gun to keep your elbows bent a certain way. And if you started getting your elbow going out, it can mess with your aim and you're not aiming right. And then you're not keeping the gun on there, the, the lug wrench, shouldn't call it a gun, but the lug wrench on there. And you're not staying, you're not, you're either not loosening it or you're not tightening it all the way up, which could cause a loose wheel or slow the pit stop down. So just as simple as having your arm out of place and your arm not bent the right way could mess up the whole pit stop. And if you miss a love nut, it's two tenths of a second to go back and hit, hit that one again. So if you miss, if you're working on the rear tires and I'm working on the front tires and I miss one and you miss one, that's almost a half a second added onto the pit stop right there. And that's that's 40 yards. Yep. And now you're back there dealing with totally different race cars than you anticipated all because you missed the lug nut and I missed the lug nut. Just one. Mm Mm-hmm. You know, you're human, you make a mistake, but just one lug nut. Yeah, I know that it doesn't seem like that much, but think about it. It's just one lug nut. And you look at it and you go, but is that, how big is that one lug nut? 
you know, that's 40 yards right there. Well, okay, next pit stop, you do it again. You know, I miss a lug nut, you don't. I just back this up another 10, 20 yards. Now we're back 60 yards from where we were. Go. So, you know, you're back up 60 yards, and over a period of, you know, 200 laps and four or five pit stops, you, it automatically just begins to grow and grow and grow. So you gotta, you've got to be cautious and do your, get your work done and be careful not, you know, yes, you're going to make mistakes, but you've got to limit those. And that was one of the things that you don't, you just hope that you don't make mistakes at the wrong time. Right. And, and you learn all that. And that's just on the road side. We're not even talking about the car setup side. I mean, they're, they're adjusting these cars to within one sixty-four thousandth of an inch in the setup. I mean, that, that's so small. You can't even see that. Right. You know, and you're looking at arrow and everything else and, and it, you learn a lot just by being around them. Like I'm not a car guy. I never profess to be a car guy, but I know enough now about cars that I like shock myself. <laughs> you know, I was talking to my dad the other day and I'm like somebody, a car in front of me drove off and I was like, okay, white smoke. Okay. That's not bad, but it's not blue smoke. Blue smoke is oil coming out of your uh, exhaust. That's not good. And it was white smoke, which meant they probably had the head gasket problem where they were getting water in their engine. Steam. And I was like, just that, you know, simple diagnosis of that, just driving down the road. Right. Well, when so, you spend 40 weekends around stuff like that, I'm sure you gain a lot of stuff. Yes. A lot of it. And then I was, I was at Hendricks about a year and a half, season and a half. Sorry, my years are seasons. Yep. And when you work in sports, you kind of think you begin to develop that a season is a year. Uh, did a seat about a season and a half here and got a phone call and was off and today hey, you want to come to Tulsa university. The guy here left to go left from Tulsa just to be their video coordinator and asked me if I was interested about getting back into football. And I was like, yeah, love NASCAR, love being a fan, but it was, I love football. Like football is my passion mm -hmm. and the opportunity to come back to football was no doubt about it. And that happened, you know, and that was fall of or July of 2018. Did a race in uh, Martin, or New Hampshire and then did that on a Sunday. Signed everything over on Monday for Hendrick. Got in the car and drove out here Monday, Tuesday. Came to work Wednesday morning, July 27th. Okay. We started camp 10 days later. And you've been here ever since? Been here ever since. And if I'm not mistaken, you guys are Adidas, right? Yes, sir. We're in Adidas school. That's what I thought. I was gonna, I was giving you a hard time. On, I was going to give you a hard time on that since you were Under Armour with Auburn. You've kind of bounced around and worn a whole bunch of different different uh, names, haven't you? Yes, sir. Uh, Under Armour at Auburn. Um, Hendrick, we were Under Armour pit crew stuff. Um, and then at Shepard, they were just be going into the Under Armour phase. Right. Western Kentucky, we were Russell. Okay. And then now out here, we're Adidas. Got gotcha. you. So I got a couple, I mean, I think your story is awesome. Obviously, you know, with us being buddies and texting and talking back and forth, and you've always been a big fan of mine, which I really appreciate. Every time you come back into town, we get together, you come by practice, you still have access to help me break down some film, which I think is unbelievably awesome. Um, what was it like at the Daytona 500? I mean, I know you said it was a blur. What's it like to be at an event of that magnitude? Does it compare to the national championship? Uh. The Daytona 500 is just different because the national championship and, and racing and football and, and the difference is in football, unless you're part of the team, you got to go sit up in your seat. Okay. 
at the Daytona 500, you, I look over and at our pit box, I look back and there's Rob Gronkowski hanging out with the drinking monster with the monster girls, just <laughs> hanging out. Keanu Reeves just walking around pit road, you know, and the list of A-list celebrities is a who's who of, who of, of what it is. And you're like, Oh, and of course, when I was working, I was part of the Dale Jr. Hit crew. Everybody wants to migrate towards Dale Jr. Right. So you've got all these different people coming around and wanting to look around and see. And it really is a imagine as a coach, if every time you're trying to coach and you're trying to do something or you're doing a play call or you're working with your team, fans are just walking up and down the middle of your bench. Yeah, that'd be a little annoying. That's what they can do. Yes, we have our pit box, but they're, you know, the fans are right there, like literally right behind you. Like as you go to the bathroom, you're standing in line with the fans. Got you. Um, as far as the pomp and circumstance goes, the Daytona 500 to me, it, it's such a professional level that you've got you know, major sponsors. You know, you go to the you go to the national championship game, and it's one versus one. One of you is going to be a winner. Well, you go to the Daytona 500, there are 40 cars. Yes, right. you have people that could be a winner, but in NASCAR, it's a restrictor plate race, which means as long as your car starts and you can run, you've got a shot at winning this thing. It isn't a 50-50 chance. It's a 1 in 40. So it's just a different animal. And when you're part of when I'm working with Dale Jr. and those guys, you can hear the fans over the cars anytime Dale Jr. did I mean, the experience was eye-opening from the level of professionalism, the you know, not being able to do work because, oh, you work with Dale Jr. And people are just wanting to be a part of that. Mm -hmm. And the Daytona 500 itself, is it's really weird that NASCAR does their biggest event to kick the season off with. Absolutely, they do. I've been, I haven't so been to that one. I've been to a couple, but I mean, they're fun events to go to. It's a totally different environment, though. It is, and it's loud, Very. but it's it's so much fun. I'd recommend everybody go to. I know you got Dover up near you. That's where I've but been. But it, it's really a it's a blast. So here's my NASCAR story. So we go down with a bunch of buddies from college, taking the cooler like you're allowed to. So there's a couple sitting in front of us, and uh, the dude ended up taking his shirt off, and he was pretty hairy, but he actually shaved and ate in the back in his back hair. That's how pumped up he was for NASCAR. Mm -hmm. it was, oh, it's NASCAR a different breed. Fans are on a different level. <laughs> yes, they are. I was yeah, like, they, oh my gosh, look at this dude. <laughs> yeah, they, I mean, it, love them to death. NASCAR fans are different. You know, they are good, wholesome people, but when they cut loose, they like to have a little bit of fun, let their hair down, and they do it in unique ways. Very unique ways. They definitely do. Got a couple questions for you here. While I know I knew you told your story and I wrote some stuff down while you were telling it. How many people are you in charge of now down at uh, Tulsa? Um, right now I have seven students. Okay. Tulsa University actually has the privilege of being one of the very few, if not the only one that I'm aware of. We have an all-female video support staff. I'm the only male in the office. These, and my students, they did a little bit of work with yearbook and some computer stuff in high school. But they didn't play football in high school. Gotcha. So, and it's an amazing group of, you know, this school, Tulsa University, first off, quick background, a private school, um, the smallest FBS school in the country, got, mm -hmm. I think, less than 4,000 students, smaller than all the service academies, smaller than 
Wake Forest and all these other schools out there, it really is a small school. And it's an awesome school. Run around to three run around the school, uh, the quad basically, and it's two miles around the entire facility if you run around all of campus. So it's a really small, close knit school in downtown Tulsa. Um, students here are super smart. I joke around with my kids all the time and my students tell them all the time, hey, you guys are way, way smarter than I am. And they are book smart. They're super smart. Great kids. But I have a, this past season we had uh, last year I had seven female students. And this year I had six female students, one male student. And due to academics, I had to let the one male student go because his academics were interfering with his uh, on the field stuff. And for a guy that's been there, done that, you just made his life 40 years from now a lot better. Yes, he needed to focus more. And it's a very touchy thing in my world because you came to college to get your piece of paper, to get your degree. Right. That's the most important thing. All this extra stuff is just extra. Your degree is the reason why you come to college. I don't care if you're starting quarterback at X, Y, and Z school or you're just a, a kid studying computer engineering. That piece of paper will carry you no matter where you go. They cannot take that away from you. Truth. Truth. So you make a comment earlier before we got on the air that I really liked. And it was, no job is too small and you're never big for, for any job. Do you, you live by that? Yes. What it is, is you look at it because it, it humbles you. Mm -hmm. Because sometimes, yes, we all want that, the, the Alabama or the big name job. But you don't know what that job entails. And that job may chew you up and spit you out. Mm -hmm. So... By going to some of these lower and lower tier jobs, you learn, you get the confidence. You look at it, and if you if you always think and go, "This is what I'm being offered," yeah, it's not saying don't don't go after what you think you're valued at. Mm -hmm. Don't ever think that you know. Oh well, I'm only being offered you know the HCC job, and I'm not talking down about HCC. That's not what that is. Right. But it's if you think you're if you think the situation's better at South Hagerstown, you stay there, or you go. You know what? I'm going to better myself, and I'm going to go this route. But every up, you know, don't ever look at a job and go, okay, well, HCC offered me a job, but you know, I'm going to blaspheme here and say that North offers you a job, and you go, yeah, but it's just high school. Don't ever think that because you don't know what doors that job's going to open up. You know, you look at it, you took the jump from HCC on that staff to to South Hagerstown, and you could have very easily been like, I'm not doing high school again. It's it's beneath me. Yeah, no, I mean, look, HCC. Look, look where it's taking you. You're four-time coach of the year. You know, you've taken that program to places they haven't been in a long time. Yeah, and I appreciate and I appreciate that. I mean, you know, I went from HCC to Shenandoah University, and, and I made the choice to come back from a four-year level to the high school level to run my own program again. So, um, so yeah, that whole idea of it's not that anything is beneath you. It's more that you don't know where that can go. And sometimes when you take that opportunity, it just – it, it takes you to places you could never dream of going. Absolutely. I'm going to hit you with this, the last thing. I, I'm this is a firm believer. This is not just in sports. This is in life in general. Sometimes, and you talked about dreams and following your dreams, and this is what, what made me think of this, okay? So when you and I were trying at HCC to get to another level, whether it, you, know, you get back to where you're at now or me get to Shenandoah or wherever it was going, we had to be really good where we were currently at. Where your feet were, you had to be successful. From there, you could get to the next level. Too many people, even professionally, want to get to a certain seat or a certain title 
and they really screw up where they're at because they're so concerned about where they want to get to and not where they're at. Do you see that or have you seen that in your business and how do you attribute like your success to not being that type of person? Uh, you see it all the time and it, it shines very brightly when people like when people don't work hard, when they think, oh, I've got the path to success or I'm just here, I'm just checking the box. Yep. And you go, it doesn't matter who, how, or why you got here. You have to take this opportunity you're given and make it the best because you never know who's watching you. Mm-hmm. Totally agree. You, know, you never know what situation is going to be presented. And if you're just checking the box, I work with, with students in scissor lifts. And if I'm just checking the box or just going, okay, well, I'm doing this just to get to wherever in life, then what's to say I'm going to pay attention to one of my students in a scissor lift and it's blowing 20 mile an hour and it blows over. Like in Notre Dame a couple years ago when that kid fell off and passed away. You know, you look at it and you go, no, I've got to pay attention to every detail, put all my energy in here and focus on this because I made that mistake earlier in my career going, you got to chase the name. You got to be all these different titles and it makes you miserable because you're running from one high to another to another going, Ooh, I can get this. I can get this. And you start basically yo-yoing your, your emotions. Mm-hmm. No, take a deep breath, take the opportunity you have and make it the best you can mm-hmm. because that's, what's going to carry you more than, you know, looking for the next opportunity. If you take the, you know, the job you have, or anything you're working on at that moment, like when we were at HCC together, you take that and you go, you know what? We're going to make this the best. Nobody's going to outwork me. Nobody's going to try harder. Nobody's going to, I'm not going to accept defeat because what, what carries you? I work hard. I try hard. I give it my all. Those three things right there, rain, sleet, snow, sunny days, they travel well. It doesn't matter what you do. If you work hard, you're, you know, you give it your all. You're a good person. You bring your teammates along. I learned a phrase called mission first, person always. The job's got to get done, yes, but the people are the most important thing. I like that. And you got to bring your people along with it. And sometimes in bringing your people along with that means you have to get dirty to get some stuff done. I'm pretty sure there are days where you probably didn't want to sit there and rebound. But in order to make the program go and to be successful – you probably had to rebound for the bigs or mm-hmm. do different drills where you're like, I wish I had a student manager who could help me, but I don't. So guess what? Buttercup got to get it done. Absolutely. And we do, you know, me and my staff do a really good job of that. I'm, I'm proud that they jump in no matter where we're at and they just get back to grinding. And I, that's why I like my staff so much is I was able to handpick them to be people like that. Mm-hmm. And I tell my students that all the time, Hey, you're here to get your degree. And whatever I can do to help you with that, I will. If that means you got to go meet with an academic advisor during practice hours, A, all I ask, give me a 24-hour notice. Don't spring it on me at the last second like you would any boss. Just give me notice, and I'll dive in and film. I'm not above that. I'm not above getting, like I said, getting dirty, filming, doing stuff. Why? Because I believe that if I show you that I'm willing to help you out, then you're going to help me out. 100%. I totally agree on that. And that, that's how I look at it and I go, so many folks get that idea of, oh, I'm this or I'm that. That's great. But who are you when the lights go out? Are you still somebody who will take their jacket off when it's raining and give it to somebody? Right. Are you going to help somebody change a tire at two o'clock in the morning? You know, I wasn't in the past. You know, it took some of my army, army training and mentality of, hey, if you take care of your people, your people will take care of you. And, and I think that's why you're successful, Keith. 
just being honest with you. I mean, I've learned a lot from you, and, and I've leaned on you a lot. You know, when we were having some, some rough spots, I'd call you, and I'd just bitch at you. It wasn't because anything more than I knew you knew what I was going through, and we were able to talk through it as friends. And, you know, and then when I was able to be successful this past year, and we started, you know, 11 out of 12, the text messages were there. Hey, man, keep winning. Hey, you know, you watch film. So I, I appreciate your friendship as well as as much more than I did, you know, what we did professionally or, you know, from a, a business perspective. I definitely personally love everything that you've done, given to me. So I appreciate that. Well, thank you, sir. And I thank you for keeping track of what all we've done. And you do the same for me, big guy. You know that. Hey, not a problem. I know you're I know you're a busy guy and I, and I appreciate your time. I know you had just had knee surgery. I hope that that heals up so you can get your butt back up here so we can hang out for a little bit. Looking forward to it, sir. Hey, buddy, I'll talk to you soon then. Keith on, he's got a whole bunch of stories, trust me. I uh, We we just kind of scratched the surface on that today. I'm going to have him back on to kind of talk about what it was like being at Auburn, being in, in with the big boys. He kind of, like I said, scratched the surface on that. Looking forward to tomorrow's show, Coach Breon Dunlap from Harris-Stowe State University is going to be on. Looking forward to talking to Breon. Haven't caught up with him in a while. Until then, thank you for listening to Never My Wildest Dreams podcast, and we will talk to you soon.